You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Hey, what's up? My name is Sean Siegwin, and I'm one of the pastors at Refuge Community Church. Uh, So glad that you were able to join us. Uh, We are a church plant that hasn't officially launched yet, so we look forward to that later this year, and we're, we're just so thankful that you would join us. Uh, Before we dive into our sermon today, I'm going to go ahead and just pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak through me and that that lives would be changed today. Thank you that you are changing my life through through your word. I pray that we would be able to take what we learn and apply it to you. And I I ask that you would uh, just use everything that I have to say, everything that you want to speak into their hearts, that you would just open up hearts, open up live and 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 that we would all be transformed and changed today in jesus name amen amen uh so in the spring of 1977 uh, rick hoyt who was born with a cerebral palsy told his father dick hoyt uh that he wanted to run a five mile benefit run for a lacrosse player who had been in in an accident and and actually paralyzed because of this now, their dad wasn't a long-distance runner, and, and Rick was actually bound to a wheelchair uh, for the most part. And, and so uh, this, this seemed actually pretty crazy, but the, the father said he wanted to do it. And uh, they finished next to last. It wasn't like any grand victory, but they did it. They ran all, all five miles, finished this thing up. And, uh, and, and when it was all said and done, at the end of the night, uh, Rick told his father, he said, Dad... When I'm running, it feels like I'm not disabled. And that, that night was the beginning of something that totally changed the course of their lives. This led to over a thousand races completed with the two of them, including marathons, duathlons, and triathlons. Team Hoyt became the first ever duo to complete the Ironman World Championship in 1989, and they repeated this in 1999. And over three decades, they've paved the way for countless push-assist teams around the world who participate in endurance sports today. The thing that amazes me the most is the way that they completed the the triathlon. Uh, I mean, the father, uh, Dick, he would take uh, this vest for the first portion and, and he would have the vest had a rope tied to a boat where he would take his son place his son into the boat and he would swim 2.4 miles all the way across this this body of water when he finished the 2.4 mile swim pulling his son across he would take his son out of that place him into a two-seater bicycle then he would bike his son for 112 miles and then when that was completed he would pick his son up place him inside of their custom-made running chair and they would run for 20 26.2 miles. This is an insane feat, honestly. Uh, this man, whether or not he intended to be a, a an amazing uh, sportsman, like this dude, seriously was was uh, had great endurance. But not only did this team change the future uh, of of sportsmen sports around the world for push assist teams. Uh, to become more inclusive all all around. Uh, But both the father and the son earned the Jimmy V Award, which is an award for, uh, in the sporting world, for overcoming great obstacles. And this was the first of only, and this was one of only two times uh, that this award had been shared between two people. 
Now, in the book of Acts, it may, it may be easy for us to view Peter and the other apostles, and, and uh, more like the father in this team, to see them running around uh, doing these impossible things uh, to change other people's lives. And then those they heal like, like the son, Rick, just, just really blessed to have someone who cares for them and, and uh, to allow them to participate and share in their power and in their victory. But the reality is that everyone that God transforms, the lame man, uh, the apostles, and in fact, all of us are never the father. We are the son. We are Rick. We are all simply recipients of God's grace. And it is so easy to read stories like like the one we have today and focus on Peter's power and then the lame man's uh, weakness. And miss out on the point that it it is a God at work in both of their lives. We can do nothing without our Heavenly Father. Our lives are instruments in the hands of a God on mission. A God who shares His power and His glory and His victory with all of us. So today in our story, we learn about a man who was lame from birth, being healed. But just like Peter, his ordinary becomes God's. Uh, opportunity. And just like Peter, his weakness becomes God's workspace. And just like Peter, his miracle becomes God's megaphone. These are my three points today. Your ordinary is God's uh, opportunity. Your weakness is God's workspace. And your miracle is God's megaphone. Forgive me for all the alliteration. I hope that it helps someone remember uh, the lesson today. Um, But our lives are, are simply instruments in the hands of a powerful God on a mission, which leads to the title of my message today, Instruments of God. Let's start with our first point. Your ordinary is God's opportunity, verses one through three. Acts chapter three, verses one through three. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple for the first time, uh, for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. In this moment, in these first three verses, very two very different lives converge. And in fact, these lives aren't doing anything really out of the ordinary. These first three verses are a very ordinary situation. Peter and John are just continuing as faithful Jews. They have been to the temple many times before, uh, especially during a time of prayer. In fact, they've been asked for money many times before. This is no crazy situation. This is just their ordinary lives. And in fact, they've probably probably seen this man before. This is their ordinary this is life as usual. And this man is un- who is unable to walk, he's born this way. His whole life, over 40 years, we find out in the next chapter, outside of the temple, uh, by the gate, asking for money. Now, this is uh, when you, to picture the gate, it's the, it's, uh, there's, there's actually three gates. There's one on the outside, and there's uh, one leading from the court of the Gentiles to the court of women, and then, and then the, the Jewish men are allowed to enter further. So there's three different gates, uh, he's probably on one of the outer courts, uh, just the way things are described. Um, but the point is that he sits outside of the temple every day. Every day. This is his ordinary. Begging for money, sitting outside of the temple every day. This is his ordinary. 
Peter and John are continuing what they have always done. This man is continuing what he has always done. Nothing here is out of the ordinary. But Peter and John had just been filled with the Spirit and spoke in new languages. And Peter uh, preached with boldness to thousands and thousands were added to, uh, to those who believed. The church is selling uh, things and giving to anyone who had need, following the apostles' teaching, spending time in prayer, and in all of the miracles done by the apostles. This is, this is something that had just happened that we've just talked about in the last few weeks. Acts 2 just happened. We go from rushing winds, bold preaching, miracles, and, and supernatural generosity to just another day in the life. Just an ordinary day. We as readers are supposed to be like, what is going to happen next? The thing that Jesus promised in Acts 1.8, the thing that he had promised which would cause the gospel to spread to the entire world has just happened in Acts 2. It, it just happened. And now we enter Acts 3.1 and it says this, now Peter and John were going up to the temple for a time of prayer. What? This, what's going to happen? They, they can't just go back to life as usual, Right? But this is just good writing, man. This is just good writing. Every first-time reader, especially those in the first century, are expected to be thinking, here it comes. Here it comes. Something big's about to happen. He's going, they're going to the temple? This is the place where heaven and earth collide. And they were just filled with the Spirit. Something big's about to happen. They're all in expectation that even though this is an ordinary situation, something is going to be different. This actually makes me think of, of uh, the movie Spider-Man. I know there were like three of them, maybe more. I, I don't know. But the first two of them, the, uh, the Tobey Maguire version and then the Amazing Spider-Man, have this scene in them that I absolutely love. I was kind of upset that it wasn't in Spider-Man Homecoming, but whatever. I know other people don't care about it. But the scene where it's the day after he gets bit by the spider and he goes back to life as usual, right? He, he gets bit by the spider and everybody in the audience knows. We're all watching and we see, we're like, okay. He's got these like this new power, like he can like shoot webs and he can he can grab on. He's super strong and and like he can sense things. He goes back into his high school, back to uh, being the shy uh, shy kid who who likes Mary Jane, who's afraid to really share his feelings. Back to being the the kid picked on by the bullies. He goes back into that space, but all of us watching know that this is no ordinary day, even though this is an ordinary day. All of us are watching, going something's gonna be different and there's that like moment where the bully goes to pick on him and he like puts him in his place in both of those movies it's like one of the most satisfying moments i love those kinds of moments in movies um and this is exactly what what luke is doing in acts 3 verses 1 through 3 he's giving us this ordinary situation but all of us are like but what's coming he's going to the temple something big is about to happen and so that's what we should be experiencing as we read verses 1 through 3. But think about it. If your life was a movie, the day after your salvation, uh, we, if we could all watch it, with, uh, we would all be watching with anticipation. We'd be like, what is she going to do? What is he going to do? The Spirit of God just filled this person. What are they going to do in their everyday life? After I got saved as a teenager, I did. I continued uh, to live at home. I continued to go to school and I continued to enjoy doing what I always did, going to movies and doing different things. But I was no longer just living life as usual. I had my ordinary life. Ordinary was still ordinary, but something was different. I was no longer just living life for me. 
I had been given a purpose, a mission, and, and I had the Spirit of God living in me. My neighbors and my classmates and my teachers, my parents, uh, the lady who took my ticket at the movie theater, everybody around me was no longer just another random person, but, but potential brothers and sisters in Christ, potential people who could be shaped and changed by the loving power of Jesus. So as we watch this story unfold, everyone reading knows, though this is an ordinary day, something is about to happen. The apostles' ordinary is no longer ordinary. Just like your ordinary, if you've been transformed by Christ and received the Holy Spirit, your ordinary is no longer just ordinary. Your ordinary is now God's opportunity. So how is this ordinary situation transformed? It's in their weakness. While your ordinary is God's opportunity, your weakness is God's workspace. So we're going to read verses 4 through 7. Your weakness is God's workspace. Verse 4. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. There is a lack and a weakness on both ends of this thing. In the eyes of their culture, having no money is a sign of weakness. Going to a temple with no money to give, that's, that's a sign of weakness. But also this man has this weakness, these, the, his literally weak feet and weak ankles. And it's in the midst of this situation, created by all of their weakness, that God does something huge. But I want us to understand the man that is asking for money. I want us to understand his context to truly grasp his weakness and the work that God is doing in him. While today those with disabilities um, have their own struggles and, and their own social ridicule, it has definitely become a kind of like evil to discriminate against someone with a disability. Today, that's how things are. Um, but in the ancient world, this is just not the case. A person's outward appearances and outward physical traits and the way they acted and all of that outward stuff said something about their inward character. Uh, in an article written by Michael C. Parsons, a professor of religion at Baylor, Parsons explains that from the 3rd century BC onward, there were multiple studies of something called physiognomy. This is uh, the study of the relationship between the physical and the moral, moral characteristics. There, they believed there was a connection between looks and insides. Uh, this is just something known from the 3rd century onward. People were writing about it, studying it. Um, and Parsons writes this about Acts 3 through 4. He says, The physiognomic understanding of weak ankles and feet combined with the reality of the derision of the disabled in Greco-Roman society and the possible social exclusion hinted at by his location outside the gate would have caused the audience of Acts 3 to 4 to view the lame man as thoroughly negative, a morally weak and passive man who is unable to stand on his own two feet. While we might look at this man and say, oh, he's, he's at least got people, he's got some friends to carry him, you know, to the place. In the first century, the readers would not have thought, oh, he has friends, you know, like, 
as much as they would have thought this man can't do anything for himself. They would simply see his weakness further emphasized in all that was said. And think this is really crazy. Only a century prior to this, there's a Jewish text called the Apocryphon of Ezekiel that makes this comment about the resurrection. The Jews and, and the Christians now also believe in this resurrection where bodies will be united with spirits uh, at the resurrection. And this in this Jewish text, only written a century earlier, there, there was this comment about lame people and blind people at the resurrection only being half a man. This, it, it didn't, this, this view of those who were disabled uh, was very, very negative, and it went beyond just writing. It was also just, you could see it in their culture, you could see it actually in their art as well. There were multiple pots from Corinth that would have these, these men, they called them the, the clubbed-footed dancers, and they would have, like, they would, they struggle to dance, and, uh, and there's, like, these scenes depicted on the pots where they're being tripped for the amusement uh, of the the people at these these like drinking parties these symposiums and so this was like a regular occurrence that that people with these problems with these disabilities were simply they were just made fun of they were outsiders and not only that because their inside was supposed to match their moral character was supposed to match the outside they were viewed as morally flawed sinful individuals and we see that this man lives as an outsider every day. He sits outside of the temple, pe- watching people walk, watching people walk into the temple to worship all day long. Think about how this would this toll this would take on him. A man who cannot use his feet, who a man who cannot move himself, has to stare at working legs all day long. This situation is a sad, sad situation for this man. This man is physically, socially, morally, and emotionally an outsider. And surely, surely people tossed him some money out of pity or to look pious as they walked into the, their place of worship. But this man's whole uh, world is completely disrupted when Peter and John come on the scene. Having only looked at feet for most of his life, this man is now being told to look at us. Peter and John do not toss him money, nor do they walk by quickly because they don't have any. The apostles completely break cultural norm. They looked straight at him, is what, is what the text says. Even today, it can be hard when someone is asking for money, it can be hard to look at them. Sometimes it's easier if you don't have any money, you don't want, you don't want to experience the awkwardness of being having to tell someone no or whatever. And so it's even today it's easy just go on by, don't look, don't don't give them any eye contact. And yet Peter and John look straight at him is what it says. And then they told him, "Look at us." This man was so unaccustomed to genuine human interaction that the two men standing right by him Staring at him did not get him his attention. He, he couldn't even imagine that these two pairs of legs standing directly at him, talking to him that he just asked for money from, he couldn't even imagine that they were trying to get his attention. They had to tell him, look at us. He didn't expect human connection. He was just begging for money. He was just staring at legs and begging. Now, now someone's talking to him. And when Peter begins to speak to the man, he starts speaking about his own lack. He starts with, I don't have 
silver, or gold. Peter connects with this man's weakness by pointing out his own weakness. But he goes even further. He offers the man something way better than what he was asking for. By the power of Jesus, he tells the man to walk. And he, he gives the man something more. He takes, him, he takes him by the hand. How meaningful is this? To give a touch of love. Not a hand to harm or to ridicule, but a hand that lifts him up to a place of equality. In this healing, this man is no longer viewed as a joke. He's no longer viewed as morally corrupt and no longer viewed as half a man. In this healing, this man's full humanity is restored. In their lack, God had something better than a few coins. And in this man's lack, God had something better than food for the day. Their weakness really did become God's workspace. And isn't this true for us? When we recognize our weakness, our lack, our need, that is where God meets us. In fact, isn't that exactly what Jesus did? In his incarnation, he entered into the weakness of human flesh, but he experiences our weakness unto death. It was in his taking on of our weakness that sin and death were overcome. In 2 Corinthians 13, 4, Paul writes that Jesus was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. God loves to work within your weakness, within, my, within our weakness. Our weakness is God's workspace. In my weakness, when I was dead in my sins and I couldn't stand on, on my own two feet, Jesus came to me. He saw me. He spoke to me. And he lifted me up. It was in this moment that my identity was utterly transformed. And all of us who have trusted in Jesus went from slavery to sonship. We went from, uh, we, we were adopted and we were given this new status we were enabled to live out this new status, this new identity. You are sons and daughters of God. You are priests. You, you, are, you are saints. You are royalty. You are ro a royal priesthood. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. You are the righteousness of God. You are princes and princesses of heaven. You are ambassadors. You have a new identity in Christ. You've been transformed. And just like this man who received more than physical salvation, we all were utterly and completely restored. This doesn't mean that we're perfect, of course. Uh, we need to continue to recognize our weakness. I still have weakness. We still have weakness. And as we... Take that weakness and we hand it to God and allow it to continue to be his workspace. He continues to take our weakness and transform us. This is called sanctification. For the rest of your lives, until the day that you die, you will need to hand God your weakness. But someone, someone needs to hear this today. Your, your weakness, your weaknesses do not define you. They are just space for God to work and reveal your new identity. Listen to this again. Your weaknesses do not define you. They are just spaces for God to work and, and, and to reveal your new identity. 
So your ordinary is God's opportunity. Your weakness is God's workspace. But as we see in verses 8 through 10, your miracle is God's megaphone. Your miracle is God's megaphone. Verse 8. So he jumped up. And he started to walk and he entered the temple with them, leap, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit at the, and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. First, I would like to emphasize that this is as much a miracle for Peter as it is for the man who was healed. Peter has no special power of his own. He's not healing in the name of Peter. He heals in Jesus' name, in Jesus' power. He's receiving power in his own weakness, just as much as this man is. In this moment where a human is used to heal another person, both men experience a miracle within themselves. Peter becomes this instrument used by God, but it is a miracle even within him to be used as this instrument. And so I think it's important for us to realize there's a, a miracle just as much in Peter as there is in this lame man in this moment. But in this verses, we get to see how this, this miracle affected the man uh, who, who's able to walk now. Um, and we get to see how it affects him and it affects the people watching. The man, first of all, we see the first thing that he does as soon as he's healed, the first thing that he does, he enters the temple. He enters the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. So immediately, he moves from outsider to insider. He moves from, leap, from, from lame to leaping. He moves from beggar to worshiper. This transformation draws him into worship. He's no longer excluded from the household of God. He's inside. He's part of it. He's a worshiper now. So this miracle transforms him. It's this megaphone that communicates you are one of us. You are in. But it's not only him that this miracle affects. All the people saw, it says. It says that they recognized him and that they were filled with awe and astonishment. Something had happened with these people. Now, while we don't see them saved yet, uh, in the next chapter we see that 5,000 people who saw who had heard about this miracle and now and then heard Peter preach we find out that 5,000 people received Jesus in response to what happened here you see when a miracle happens God uses that miracle God uses our life our life transmer, transformation to communicate to the world around that he is at work that God is good that there's something good happening and it, and ex this is exactly what we see in in Matthew 11:21 when Jesus speaks of miracles he said that these are things that should cause people to repent miracles are meant to cause change in others not just physical change. The physical change is supposed to point to the importance of the spiritual need that they have. Now, C.S. Lewis is famous for the statement, uh, you know, talking about pain, that it is the megaphone to rouse a deaf world. It's a beautiful statement. Uh, and this is exactly true of pain. God absolutely does use our pain to speak to us. And in fact, I was riffing off of, of C.S. Lewis's statement here when I said miracles are God's megaphone. Man, here we see, and also we saw with Jesus that for, for, for us, miracles are meant 
to be a megaphone. They really are meant to, to uh, communicate something about what God desires for us. He desires to restore us to the fullness that he has to offer us, every single one of us. He sees, he sees the Imago Dei, the image of God, in every single person, no matter where they're at. And he says, you are all just as much as in need of me. And this is what these miracles communicate, that God has something to offer, something greater than, than any of us can offer on our own. The reality is we are all spiritually lame. We are all in need of his help and he is the one who lifts us up. And so this is what miracles communicate to us. This is what life transformation communicates to us. Uh, and think about it. Think about, and most of us have seen those the, the uh, videos of the deaf children who have received their hearing and, and they are able to hear their mother's voice for the first time. And when I, when I watch these videos, man, uh, it's one of the few things in this world that brings the kind of joy in me and beauty that I, I, it just hits me in a way that I actually, like I'm brought to tears. But it's, it's it, the thing is these parents who post these videos do it because they wanna share a moment that was so beautiful for them and so joyful for them. They wanna share that beauty and they wanna share that joy that they experienced with the rest of this world. That is the purpose of posting these videos. And they hope that we can all feel that same joy and that same beauty that they experienced when they heard, when their child heard their voice for the first time. And this, this is how we should read these passages. They're intended to speak to our hearts when we see this man's life transformed. It should speak to us in the same way that those videos draw our hearts out. We're, we're not just supposed to read scripture as some kind of thing where you go in, and we, we all do this at times, go in to find the principles that we can take and apply to our lives and to our knowledge. God gave us way more story in the Bible than anything else. And story is intended to draw our hearts out in the same way that those videos do. And I think it's so easy for us to, to, to just read and, and miss this moment and not recognize the beauty that is shared by Luke. Luke is sharing this beautiful, joyful moment. And when we read this, we should be welling up with tears and, 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 and just experiencing the joy with him. Miracles are meant to speak to us. Miracles are meant to speak to us. But also Luke, when he shares this miracle, I'm curious, I was thinking about what is he communicating to the first century reader? What does this miracle communicate to them? What is the megaphone speaking to them? And I think of, of two major things. While everyone was waiting, uh, in, as they're reading the story, while everyone's waiting for something big to happen in the temple, because that's the place heaven meets earth, something big's about to happen in this temple. While everybody's waiting for something in the temple, God does this miracle outside of the temple. While everyone was waiting to see God do something with those who were, who were faithful uh, uh, worshipers inside of the temple, God does something with this, this uh, man outside of the te temple begging for uh, money. God's mission didn't look like they expected. He doesn't start with the upright, temple-attending insider. He starts with the lame, begging outsider. This miracle, this megaphone moment screams that, God's, uh, that, that, that uh, God does not show partiality and that he sees the image of God within all people. 
So this is the first thing that the, the first century readers, when they read this for the first time, would be like, he, they didn't even make it into the temple and they're raising this man up. The, the power of God that was within them should have been for faithful Jews, not, not for this outside look, blah, blows their minds. God is doing something different than they could have expected. That this man is just as worthy of God's miraculous power and love as anybody else inside of there. So that's the first thing I think that this miracle communicates through this this megaphone. But the second thing is, and this is something that many commentators have have noticed before, but it's the connection between the verbiage of of walking and leaping. Here and in Isaiah 35 verse 6, there's this line that says that the lame shall leap like a deer. And in Isaiah 35, there's lots of miracles happening, uh, and they're, and as they're happening, they're all combined to be a picture of the future restoration of Israel. That, that there's going to be a full restoration, and it's going to, and there's going to be all of these beautiful little things happening. And so by describing the man's uh, reaction the way he did, Luke is saying that what Isaiah prophesied is actually happening. This miracle is not just a megaphone to this man, but to all of Israel. That a new king is on the throne. That that God is bringing his kingdom now. That God is beginning his restoration project here and now, starting with this man. And even now we see this. In the midst of a broken world, every addict set free from addiction reminds us that there is still a good king on the throne. And every bitter heart that forgives reminds us that there is still a good king on the throne. And every broken heart that is healed reminds us that there is a good king on the throne. Your transformation is your testimony. Your, Your miracle is God's megaphone in your life. In a world waiting for things to be made right, Transformation and sanctification are proof that God has already begun his rescue plan. Through this lame man's transformation, uh, through Peter's transformation, and through, through our transformation, God is proclaiming that restoration is coming because he is king. Restoration is coming because he is king. And remember, all of us, are the lame man in this story. Even Peter is the lame man. We are all weak. But when we place ourselves in God's hands as his instruments, he turns our ordinary into his opportunity. He, he takes our weaknesses, he turns our weaknesses into his workspace, and he, and he turns our miracles into his megaphone. And just like Rick Hoyt As we hand our Father our lives, we get to share in his power and his victory. I'm going to close out with just a few things to do uh, throughout this next week, a few ways to apply this sermon. First of all, regularly ask God how he wants to use your ordinary life at that moment. Throughout this next week, like every hour, Ask God, is there something you want to do through this moment? Is there somebody you want me to speak to? Is there someone you want to call or text? Is there somebody you, you, you want me to you know, share something with or maybe pray for? Or is there something you want me to do? Is there something, maybe a way that you can love or care for your neighbor? Is there something that you need to do right in that moment? How might God want to use your ordinary? Regularly ask how he wants to use your ordinary life at that moment.
Secondly, continue to admit your weakness and invite God to transform you. Do this on a regular basis. This is something we should always do. Always let, let us continue to admit our weaknesses, where we fail, our shortcomings, and invite God to bring transformation. And lastly, ask God what he wants to teach you through your transformation. We've all been transformed. We talked about this a few weeks back. You can look and see the growth that's happening. What does God want to speak through the growth? How might God be speaking to you? How might God be speaking to the world around you? How might he be speaking to your family and friends? What is God communicating through your transformation? We're going to go ahead and, and go into a time of worship before we do. I'm just going to uh, pray. Father, thank you so much that your word uh, lets us know that we all bear the Imago Dei. There is no one greater. There, there, you, don't, you don't see anyone as better than another, but God, you bring your kingdom. And, and in our passage today, you bring your kingdom in and through uh, a man who no one would have expected it from in their, in their culture. You bring your kingdom through this man who cannot walk and, and who is begging, who is an outsider, and you, you, you raise him up and you bring him in and you reveal to everyone around that you're doing so much more. God, use our transformation to, to speak to the world around us. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.